So, welcome to No Shame, episode 105, <laughs> is that what it is? Yeah, 105. So, we have a man here that that has, has interviewed me. We actually know each other now because we've read each other's books. So, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a weird way to kind of figure out each other. And, do you know what I'm saying? We feel like we're mates. Yeah. You know what I mean? Richie Sadler. How are you man. doing? Thanks uh, very much for author, having me. Author, Irish International, um, Millwall Legend. We'll go on and on and on. Yeah, author's the, the weirdest one. Isn't it? Yeah, well, I suppose I'm only two months, like yourself, We were our, our, the release of our books was only a few weeks apart. Um, so there's a lot of overlap here. Right. But, um, yeah, it's two months now since the book came out, and usually, actually, I'm more comfortable in your seat. Right. I like interviewing people. Brilliant. I'm curious about other people, and I want them to talk about them. I'm not really interested in telling you about me. But I understand that it's part of the process of the book and all Absolutely. that kind of stuff. And actually, the thing that I've been surprised about is how enjoyable I found most of the interviews and the chats around the book promotion. I was worried that it would be all about one or two particular issues in the book. And yeah. I'd have to drag up the same story. And, the, and I try to, like, how am I going to make this interesting for me? And so that I avoid just being repetitive. And every single interview I've done, people have honed in on different bits of the book so every chat I go into going I've no idea where this is going to go so I actually enjoy them now it's crazy that you say that because oh, we've had the same thing really? happen to me yeah like where I've never got I've never haven't been asked a question of a uh, like the same question of, what about this part what you know it's been but there was so crazy much, there was so much in yours though because I remember because we did yeah. the interview with you in this in, so we were sitting in these seats and so I read the book and I knew okay so if we're going to do about 40 50 minutes like and I don't want to skim over everything. I want to get into certain things. And there were so many things potentially to get into. Like you could do two or three interviews with you. So I could see why everyone would hone in on something different. Different parts. No, and yeah. you know what? It was a, it's, a, it's a crazy experience writing a book, isn't it? It's an emotional experience. Like It's like paid therapy, someone said. Was it you that said it? Yeah. Well, well, I was... Well, I, so I work as a therapist and I still go to therapy so throughout the process of writing the book and even in the build up to deciding on doing the book I go to weekly therapy and so with all the difficult stuff that was coming up as I was writing it and a lot of it was stuff I was familiar with there was nothing nothing new kind of came up for me there was, there was one or two things that I found out along the way you open uh, a box and it opens another yeah, box yeah a couple of things I had to find out for the book and, and they were a little bit difficult to deal with but I had the kind of the, the, the safety of the therapy room to it. Do you know where... And everyone has it in... You, you might have with your with your partner or with a coach or with a business partner or something or a mate where you're just with them and you just know it, it's it's safe or you, you're, you're, you, you trust the person or it doesn't matter what you say won't go any further. Or you think that they've got them the cop on to be able to support you or deal with you or steer you in the right way or whatever. So I get all that from going to therapy. Okay. And so it's, it, it's brilliant. So I just keep going. It's hard to find that. It's, it's hard it, to find it, somebody it, that you're at the explaining there. Yeah, it is. Well, it, it, like I, I often, and it's happening more and more often now. It's, it's. I'll get made to mine, like bloke, made to mine, who'll email me or text me and go, "Listen, thinking of speaking to someone. How do you go about doing it?" And I'll give him the whole spiel about you know what the price range is or get somewhere location wise that's convenient and blah blah blah. Would you prefer a male or a female? But the thing always comes back to it's the connection. With, with a therapist? Yeah. You, you've got to feel like you've... You, 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 whatever you think you need to say to this person, are they 
the kind of person you think you could say it to. Do you have that? It's like, you know, you connect with someone you went on a date. Are you, why do you fancy someone and I might fancy someone? You, we all connect well, to different people for different reasons. Different, different yeah, personalities so and charismas. All that. So, so the therapist that I work with who is brilliant for me, you might meet him and go... Nah, I didn't. I didn't click. Anyway, so the the, the fellow I work with, I, I I really get a hell of a lot from working with him. So I just keep going. It's a really simple approach I have. Do you know when you find something that works? Yeah, just keep doing. <laughs> it. Just keep doing. Just don't, don't, don't yeah. complicate it. it and it's you like, feel it's better like, after doing something. Just try and do it as many times it's as like you can. With fitness and stuff like that, how yeah. do I do it? You just eat well and you keep doing it. It's, and you, it's you, very you simple. It's you know it's the way you felt key. great when you jumped out of the sea. Well, just jump back into the sea. Is that what therapy feels like? Does therapy feel like kind of like a like a session or like a getting out of the sea or like it's a very off it's, kind of thing? It, it's I've never very, done a therapy session. It's very. Every session can be different. So I, I, I've had the experience of being in both chairs, in, in the chair where I'm the therapist and in the chair where I'm the client. And so some weeks I, I, I'll go and I know right, I need to talk about this thing that happened this week. Or some weeks I'll go and go, Do you have actually nothing? I don't think I've anything to say. I, I'm, and then you sit in the chair and all of a sudden you're getting into something really deep that you didn't see coming you and you go, wow, this is, we're in a whole new path here we're going to be weeks and weeks on this one thing um, or you get into you know why, do, why am I a certain way all the time why do I react a certain way in certain situations or every time I meet Paddy well, he, he just gets me and I don't know why or do you know that kind of thing or in relationships or in RTE situations or certain people and in just in the safety of a room where no one else knows what's going on you just get to be curious about why you are the way you are and, and, and I find that a real benefit Hey, something I find about therapy. There's not, not against the therapy or anything yeah. like that, but to me, the idea of sitting down and me, like, say, if I was paying you to sit in that seat and I was telling you everything, I feel like I was just like I was at the dragon swimming out for a point that didn't really want to be there. Do you get what I mean? You, like, you, you think the therapist wouldn't want? Not that they wouldn't want to be there, but the idea of like, it just feel like if I was paying somebody to sit there and listen to me. Right, so. Exactly what you're saying. When I started to train to be a therapist, I really grappled with the money bit because it was like, okay, I get in practice what you're aiming for. You're aiming for this really unique connection that doesn't happen anywhere else. It, nowhere else is the relationship completely one-sided. So if I'm the therapist and you're the client, we're only ever going to speak about you. So This is what I mean. Do you know what I mean? It's one-sided. It's very structured. We'll meet once a week. For 50 minutes, no contact outside of that. We don't have each other mobile phone numbers to text. There'd be no going for pints, there'd be nothing. And we exchange money at the end. I was going, does that not cancel out all the goodness or the integrity of the blah, blah, blah? It sounds like a prostitute. It's kind of like the. You don't have any communication and just be one to I don't know what you imagine happens. I know, yeah, but it's. So the money thing did. For a while, and so I, when I trained to be a, to be a therapist, and I qualified for, for like a lot of therapists, I did it for free for a couple of years. I just volunteered in a place nearby here, actually, in in Tallaght for a couple of years. What's the place called? You know what we said? Down in St Catherine's in the Priory down yeah. Tallaght Village. There's some amazing places around here. For yeah, the, for and it's low cost counselling. There's another place called Hope. It's yeah, it, it's low cost counselling. I actually don't even know if it's still operating. I assume it is. And I did another place in Bray, which is the exact same setup, and it's for. People go in to meet somebody, not the therapist. They explain what they're there for. They explain maybe what their issues are and they explain what they think they can afford every week. 
and that's it. So you can be little as a fiver. I think the most anyone ever paid was 20 quid. So it becomes affordable to people who might not be able to afford the 60, 70, 80 quid that some therapists charge. Because um, I was like, going, I, I really want to do this. And if I'm charging money, does it lessen the, this, all that stuff? And then after a couple of years, I started realizing, actually I've spent thousands and thousands and thousands on learning what I learned. And even getting to the place where you're doing Getting therapy, to yeah. do it. So you, uh, And then you realize, actually it's emotionally very challenging being mm. a therapist. A- amazingly rewarding. Like it's it's brilliant and I love it. And the feeling I get from doing it is the kind of feeling you'd like to get and, and, and you wouldn't you wouldn't want to be paid. Like it's, it's brilliant. Yeah, I get what you mean. But do you know what I mean? It's, it's that thing you have to kind of, I actually start to value what I know yeah. and I have to start appreciating that you're worth something, which is something I would struggle with anyway. I would have as well back yeah. in, the, in the time. And that's, and you know, that's a big mistake. I'll make, I'll make sure my own athletes don't do it. I wanted to be inside the Robin day before we came in. Exactly. And Valuing like, your own self-worth. I heard just talk about just it coming in. Him, like, yeah. You know, the idea we were just having that conversation because it's very easy to do that. Like, you would, you, you're young. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, do I question? Yeah. I'm not as young as, as I'd like to be. Yeah, you're, you're but it is that thing like because uh, people can have an interest in doing certain things they can have a, a, a ability or talent but then they also have to value themselves yeah and go well I'm going to bring I, I might enjoy doing what I'm about to do and you might appreciate me doing it but what I'm bringing to the table is worth something and some people are very comfortable going this is what I'm worth pay me and others I'm one of them maybe you are too going oh yeah. Don't have to ask for money here. I feel a bit. Not, feel like, a bit of a dick. To be honest, like, say we do one on one. Yeah, it's, it's very sessions. We do one on one, say yeah. uh, martial arts sessions, and like like they're expensive. So they're expensive for a reason because not that I'm not mad into doing them, but for me it takes. It's probably about three hours really because by the time you get here, then you do a session for an hour, then you talk to somebody for twenty minutes after, then you go home. It's like three hours. Mm-hmm. So it costs about like hundred and eighty quid probably for a one on one session. You know what I mean? Then we don't do many of them, but we probably torn down more of them than. Not that I should, but I just, it's nearly like therapy, like what you're saying there. Mm. Two questions for you on the therapy thing, and then we'll go into the, the, the excited part that I wanted to get into, because I have lots of questions for you. <laughs> um, the first one being, is it not weird when someone comes in to do therapy and Rishi Sadler's sitting there? <laughs> at the start, so, so, so at the start when I, it was, tw- what year was it? It was 2012 when I first started seeing clients. And I, I, I'd have that thing as well because, again, like some people, when they when they start doing something, they can't imagine anything but success. I, I, I again, I'm not like that. When I start off, I, I work, I, I concentrate on the reasons why this is going to go tits up, right? So one of the things I thought is, well, I'm a former footballer, so how much, like how seriously is a former footballer going to be taken in the world of therapy? Like I'm a bloke as well. So I, women are probably better than this, this than, than men. So those are the two hang up. But at the time as well, I was starting to get more regular work in the RT panel. So I was going, if I'm getting animated about people getting sent off or calling for managers to be sacked or having a debate with someone about whether it sort of should have been a yellow card or a red card, are you really going to look at me and go, that's the fella I want to talk about, talk to about the most personal stuff, about my childhood, my relationship, my, my, my suicidal thoughts, my whatever. So I thought, well, there's loads of reasons why this isn't going to work for me. But there's still a little part of me going, well, I'm going to ignore all that yeah. or else I'm going to be driven to prove that side wrong. Yeah. I don't know what the it is. Part. Yeah. It's going, well, I'm going to shut, shut you lot up. All the voices in my head. <laughs> be quiet, boys. Exactly. 
just gonna and just gonna just gonna keep going and persevering. And then early on, I I I'd be looking for comments in a session where someone might little hand gestures or little looks where if they said something about football or sport, if there was a little knowing little nod, I go, is that them revealing that they know I work on TV or, or not? And I remember the first time it was, it's called like a door handle comment at the end. And they're always really interested when you, when you work with someone for the hour and then for some reason they'll wait until they're walking out the door and they'll say something. And you know, we've been here for an hour. I wonder why they left it till that moment. So anyway, this one door handle comment was, um, you know, I saw, you, I saw you there and tell you there last night or whatever. And off they went. And then, um, and they didn't bring it up then after that. And then I used to feel as if it would be a negative that they, weirdly, and, and look at my, because now I don't see it at all. Now it's actually a positive. If I work with young people now, I get some extra little bit of, of course, something to go, oh, you're the bloke on TV. I kind of half think I know you. There's a football sporty link, particularly with young lads. It just helps. Yes. But at the time, most people come see me now know that I work in this other area as well. They also know that like, I work in the media and I used to play football and all that. So they know that you've got yeah mad a bit and you're what you're doing is, yeah because I because I'm a bit more open now when I when I when I started working as a therapist I would never say it publicly so I'd go on radio shows and off air beforehand I'd say I'm here to talk about football and I know you know I go to college and I know you know I work as a therapist but I'm not comfortable talking about it on air so please don't ask me I would want to keep the two separate yeah no you're right I just I just did I didn't have the confidence to talk publicly about what therapy yeah. involved or me as a therapist. So I just separated them. Now I just integrate everything. Yeah, like, that's an easier way of living as well, isn't it? It is, but it, it took me a little bit of time to get comfortable enough to like to sit down and have a chat now and nothing's off the table. Yeah. Whereas yeah. before it was like, I only want the public to know this <laughs> bit know, about me. I know, <laughs> Do you know what I mean? How free is that though? How freeing is that, you know? Like I felt when I, when I, I, I say I got, a, I got a book off my chest. You know what I mean? Instead of getting it off your chest, I got a book off my chest. Yeah. To me, that was my therapy, you know what I mean? In yeah. a way of getting rid of it. And it was kind of like eight mile in a way. So I'd say to me, it's like, my son asked me, like, why, why did you do with that? I'm like, well, I'm in politics now and I'm going into politics now, so I'm kind of putting the eight mile uh, flag on them, if you must. Did you ever see what Eminem does to the guy in eight mile? Yeah. Uh, I am. I am a bum. I do live in a trailer with my mum. He tells them everything about him and he's like, tell them something they don't know about me. So now in a way I've kind of like given everybody the answers of a million different, because people, all of the stuff that blew up in my life at the time, especially with the gyms and all this kind of stuff, yeah. people are like, like, I know, they had different opinions of them situations from different people. So to me it was like about pushing all of the real truth out there, the whole truth, not the truth. But it's kind of like, and I find doing that in, so I'll do like corporate talks or meet people or whatever, and I think it just disarms everyone when you're really yeah, open and honest. Exactly. And you just go, here's me. And I think, okay, right. So, go, no, here's me. Like, this is this is everything. I'm not leaving out anything. This is the shitty bits that I'm really uncomfortable about. And for years, I wouldn't want you to know about. Here's the stuff that's embarrassing. Here's the stuff I wish I didn't do. I'm glad I did. Some people know, some people don't. But just here it is. And you use the word freeing there. Like, that's been the biggest thing. It's been so freeing. Now, maybe I should have expected this, but I'd be banging away in therapy all year going... What's, what's the, but I was just questioning it all the time. So what's the world going to look like for me after the 4th of October? This is me as well. 
Because it's unanswerable until the 4th of October comes. And yours was November the 4th or whatever, early November, whatever it was. And it was like, how are people going to be with me? How are people going to interact with me? What are they going to find interesting about me? Or what will they turn away from me now because of X, Y and Z that they know? And you, because there's no way of knowing until you do it. But then, then you get people around you like um. So we're on the therapy blue. We're doing a therapy session here. We are twenty minutes in. <laughs> <laughs> um, we never start from uh, the the end to the the, the start. Have we not? We usually go start to finish. Now we're re-engineering this one. Um, the the other question I wanted to ask you is: you said about um whether you're comfortable with a male or a female therapist. Mm. Um, we 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 run a course here now, so we've done a forced ever course. We created um three lads, me, Alan, and Neil. It's called Fire and Ice Program. It's a men's program. So what we do is we we're going to run programs all over the country. And what we do is the first part of it is is me teaching Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, teaching the how to fight part of it, what fighting really is, and and how how it's not what people think. So right. what we do is we start off. It's called, we call it the samurai drill, where everyone lines up and everyone does a rear a choke on each other I tap he does it to me I do it to him and we both put ourselves in this mad vulnerable position with a total stranger right and uh, then the uh, we go through different positions and the idea of what it actually means and physics and, and tougher is not being better you know bigger is not being better having a bald head and tattoos doesn't mean you're aggressive taking away that part you know what I mean so disarming them in that way then we right. do an hour of it right where it's like um it's it's talking about like yeah, the, the chimp paradox or the idea of how your brain works think, talking about thinking then we do a part with um, with um, Neil that's a, a breathing exercise and then we go down and we get into a cold water ice tank. So an ice bath full of water. And this is what he he, he um he specialises in. He does he's trained on the Wim Hof. I've heard about yeah, it, so, yeah, I know the fellow. So we put it all together we have, right? In the idea. So it's a men's programme. Amazing for, for people talking. Like we'll come up so we have we, we mix we have travellers, we have people from um from all, all different uh, kind of communities, all different backgrounds. Uh, average Joe blokes, people that have just retired and don't know what to do with their life. And we just put them on into a room and then we put them into an ice bath together. And you want to see what happens? It's magic. They come back up the stairs and they're like, they're talking. And it's, if you just listen to it, it sounds like a pub at the end. But at the start, it's just silent. And then we came across the topic of the idea of it's a men's program. Many of you say, well, we have a men's program. What about the women's programs? You know, and it's like, you see, you see a lot of that online now. If you, if you, tweet about some charity so, well what about the other charity oh, no. I know if you tweet about one cause really worthy cause someone will pipe up well that's in that country what about something closer to home oh, no. you go, lads like, I'm, I'm just doing something that will benefit a group yeah. of people it's don't knock me because it doesn't benefit the entire population it's a tree globe. each swing of the axe has a benefit and has a has a you know what I mean a purpose for it yeah. but the idea we were talking about is if we did uh, enter females into it so then if all these guys were sitting here and doing this with females it changes. Mm. Everything changes. People don't won't talk the way they want to talk. People will be a little bit more masculine. People probably won't want to take the clothes off and get into an ice tank in front of the girls. In therapy, is it the same? Because I I, I think there's some people out there who like to get the idea. You know, we're all the same. So there's an idea of inclusion and equality and. You know, we, we we don't see race or colour, we don't a religion and everyone's the same. And I agree with that, that we're all of equal value. Yes. But there are certain parts of our experience which are which are which are unique and which are to be respected. And gender does matter. Absolutely. It it just it does. does. There's male and female like, to me. Exactly. The science part, there's male and female to me. Now if you if you're happy 
if you want to be a television or you want to be whatever, you're happy. It doesn't affect my life. So so I, I, I'll get I'll get people who come to me, whether they're male or female, and they'll specifically want a man, a male therapist. And I'll get I'll get made to mind male or female who'll specifically want a woman. And that's because their own personal reasons. And there's no right or wrong. It's just that they get us, and it could be because they had a really close relationship with their mother so they can imagine speaking to a woman right, right, and it could right. be it's something as basic as that or it could just be they could be one of these blokes that always just felt uncomfortable or socially awkward around women so just a female therapist wouldn't work for them now you've got to respect that you've got to respect their experience that they can acknowledge that I, I'm, I'm, I'm not as good talking around women as I am with a bloke it's not knocking this fella it's not thinking less of him it's just going okay that's great awareness so use that awareness and maybe it would be better for you to work with a man. And likewise, with women, you could think some bloke, oh, no, I don't want to be vulnerable in front of another man. Because yeah. they've got certain hang-ups about what a man should involve. Yeah, and the problems are different as well. Exactly. And problems. you go, well, I'd be more comfortable telling a woman this because I'd feel more supported. Because they might have a version in the head that women are more supportive. They're more nurturing. They're more compassionate. Yeah. Because a lot of people think that about women, that they don't have those views about men. So... You Gender even, matters. You, you wouldn't even be able to say that these days that women are more compassionate than men because you'd be called out on it, wouldn't I? Yes, but, but again, I, I'd always kind of when you're when you're doing something as as personal or as intimate as 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 going to therapy, then you need to work out what will work for you. So if it's a male, if it's a female, if it's someone in their thirties or someone in their fifties, what age are they compared to what age you are? All of these things will matter to you. So listen to that. Do you know what I mean? And don't worry that it, someone else might hear that as, are you, are you being ageist? Yeah, yeah, all right. Because, you know, I mean, because I did that actually when I started training, I was <coughs> 31. And I thought, well, I'm not going to get any work because that fellow over here in the class, he's 60 and he's got grey hair. He looks he like looks he's loads of life experience yeah. and he had this calm voice. And he, I thought, well, he just has way more credibility as a therapist to me as a 31-year-old. Yeah, yeah. So everyone, we have our own little hang-ups and little personal bias about whether it's age or gender or life experience. But when you're trying to get support from someone, go to the person that you think will be most supportive for you. I feel great after that. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's <laughs> simple. <laughs> it, it's kind of common sense yeah, stuff. I know what you mean. It's, it's, it's just common sense mean. stuff. When you started playing football, yeah, were you that kid in school that was always oh, fucking good at football? Yeah, because I, I wanted to be a footballer when I was a kid, right? Now, and I played football, I was good, I was a decent little right back, I was, I was fiery and I was vicious, all right? But then there was always that guy that just knew where to be, knew where to be standing when the ball came down, and he just had it. I, lo I, I, I loved it. Like, I, I would play. Um, like my uncles, my whoever would tell me, as soon as I could walk, it'd be you know some kids go to whatever toys or whatever. I, mine was always the ball. Um, always wanted a ball at my feet, and any free time I had, just it was playing football. And this was, sound like an elf layer. This was before, like you could be a big football fan now and and be a kid, and you could be consumed by football, but never actually touch a ball. Because you could be on computer games oh, yes. and you could watch on TV yeah. and you could be online and you could be on like management games or whatever. You could be all day, every day in the world of football without ever actually touching a football. But back then it was just about a football. The football. That's all I did. And I loved it. And it was, 
And it just made, like, I, I, so I wrote stuff in the book about, you know, my, my growing up in various childhood struggles and, and all that stuff. But, but the, the thing that I remember most, and even when I wrote the book, first of all, you, you might have had this. You know, when you, you write a little bit and you read it back and go, yeah, the, all those bits are true, but it, 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 I need to rewrite this because this makes it sound like it was way more grim than it was. Exactly, yeah. yes. Yeah, yeah that yeah. did happen and that happened. And, you know, I grew up in a house, an alcoholic home and there was challenges and it was difficult and you're always shitting yourself going, is he going to go drinking again? And mm. will we all have to move and my parents break up or blah, blah, blah. But, and that was true, but the majority of my time was spent and... and not like escaping into the world of football because it existed. Like it wasn't like this fantasy world, yeah. but like I was out playing all the time, doing something I was really good at. Yeah. And when you do anything that you're really good at, whether you're drawing pictures or you know building Lego, whatever it is, it and, and you enjoy it and, yeah. and you feel good about yourself. I felt the same. No, definitely because people are like, people are like, I've had people ring me after me book and be like, Paddy, Paddy, <laughs> you don't have to say my name twice. I'm on the phone. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're calling me and you're like, what the fuck? I did that thing where they tilt their head and go, oh, Jesus. To me, it was like the same. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, I just wrote down what happened. And as we as one box opens, the next one opens. Yeah. And then, but like to me, like my childhood, like, I had one person say to me, um, I didn't like the way you, you talked about Jobstown. I didn't like that, right? And I was like, and then I did the maths. She didn't even live in my house in the state when I was younger. So. She was like, yeah, but like, I live there now. And then my family, it's like, it's not about you, Mrs. Exactly. But <laughs> I, I, so I, I had the same thing as well. Like, so when I was writing about the years in Millwall, I was like, um, I'm going to write about it in ways that reflect my memories and my experience. And someone else who was there at the same time might write completely different things because they remember different things and they focused on different things. And I write about it. So if I write about any of the crowd trouble or the the difficult stuff or the stuff that's described now as old school or kind of bonkers way of training. I might, that might sound or feel insulting to some of the people I'm writing about, but that was my experience. That was my, when I mean, you write a book, you get to write about what was your experience. Yeah. So the one who told you about, she didn't like how you wrote about jokes, that's fine. When she writes her book, she can write about her experiences and, and we'll sit back and go, that's your experience and fair play to you. But just because yours is different to mine doesn't mean mine was no. wrong. Yeah, no, we do. I agree with you. I hear you do. Because, um, I'm getting ranty here. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, um, so as a fast forward, as yeah. you're a kid and you're, you're, you're moving to England. Yeah. So like this this has to be crazy. Um, I, have a, I have a lad that I've been, he lives in my housing estate, uh, Glenn McCauley, and he's, he actually signed for Bohemians the other day. So I've playing for Liverpool for many years, from 13, I think all the way up to 17. And uh, I've always had him on my mind because I was worried about him. I actually had him on the podcast as well. But I was worried about him because I couldn't imagine what it'd be like mm. being a young Irish lad moving away to this big scary world, you know, and and you you were going away and you were you were carrying a lot of a lot of damage as well as yeah. like, and going away is like it, it kind of gives you time to sit there and think about it and and you're in a position where you should be grateful, you, you know what I mean? But like you're like yeah, but sometimes I'm just sad. Yeah, there there, there was loads. Of, like first of all, so I went to I did the leaving cert in '96 and moved to Millwall within a month or two of that, and I signed a one year contract because that's all I was offered. Um, and I went over with the expectation because you're made aware of just how 
you're, like you're trying to climb a mountain here and there's very few places at the top and there's a shitload of people at the bottom <laughs> and it's competitive. Yeah. And at the slightest weakness that you show, you're gone. You'll be gone. pushed down to the bottom yeah. and someone else wants to take your place and they won't wait around for you because there's a match every Saturday. There's 11 players needed every week. Um, and there's only a certain amount of players that this club can sign. So I was in a youth team squad, there was 18 of us. And I remember we were, we, you just know from talking to the lads who are a year or two older, only about three or four of that 18 are going to get a year's contract, maybe a two year's contract. And of those three or four, maybe only one or two are going to get a second contract. So that, like the, for the want of a better phrase, the failure rate is quite high. So you know, the, 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 the thing to expect here and it's the common sense approach is to expect that this is not going to go the way you want it to go. Because 99 point whatever percent, that's their reality. Oh, that's but you've got to go into it on the basis that it might. And you've got to make all the sacrifices knowing that it's probably not going to pay off, but it could. Now, the good thing about it, you're doing something which is really enjoyable. So yeah. it's not like you're going out, like... Lift the blocks. You're not going out having a horrendous day after day after day yeah. in the hope that it might turn good. It's great every day. You're just going to hope it will continue. Um, and it was really difficult initially because... It was all the, 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 like I was 17, so I'd never been away from my family before. Um, in Ireland, leaving was never like went over a long time. Yeah, like went over holidays. So now, like if you left, you'd, you're like, whatever, you've a million different ways of keeping in contact yeah. with someone. Before, when I left, I didn't have a mobile phone. Letters. They didn't have internet. I was writing letters. My sisters were writing me letters. Like, this is, this is, like, sounds like a different era altogether. Um, and I was going into a, an, a, a climate which was, very harsh. Now I loved it. So and this isn't a, a story about how difficult I loved it. Right. But it was very difficult. Yeah. Because it it's not really actually that healthy for a seventeen year old, like a teenager, to go into a, a an adult workplace where there there's 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 no no such thing as being like sensitive to someone's age. No, or soft. No, you, you don't sit there and go, okay, de developmentally, this fella's 17 and we're 28, so there's yeah. certain conversations we there's shouldn't say in front of him. the book, I can't remember his name at the moment, um, Razor or something? Rhino. Rhino. Mm. Yeah, like, what a name. Like, he sounds tough. He was brilliant. Um, a really, really fully committed player, Mr. Millwall, hundreds and hundreds of appearances, so I was a teammate of his initially and then he became the reserve team manager, player reserve team manager and then became the player manager. So we went from being kind of teammates to being manager and I know I'm 17 or 18 and he was in his mid-30s so it's not like you're, you're ever mates, you're never drinking buddies, you're yeah. never, none of that stuff. But he was, do you know what he realised, and I didn't put this in the book, he, he, he realised I was too nice and I was too soft and I was... Which is all great traits when you want to be a therapist. Of course. Right? Yeah, but, no. but when you want to be a Millwall footballer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Long direction. Yeah. It, so, so he would deliberately mark me in training and kick the shit out of me. So, you know, you'd have bibs you know, with the green bibs or the yellow bibs, whatever bib, bibs would be up on top of me. Because <laughs> he, he was a defender and I was a striker. So he, he would naturally pair up against me. And, and in, in training matches, it's not like there's a referee who stamps down on every little indiscretion. Yeah. It's like the kind of school of hard knocks. And he kind of used to kind of repeatedly give me a rough treatment every day. And there'd be times in matches where I'd be, 
a few of the defending marking me at the start to be and the ball was up there someone's injured and there's a long delay I turn and chat to you and they used to fucking kill me for that they, what are you, you're there making me, and I was Ian Dowie people know him now Sky Sports presenter so he, he was he was playing one day and we, we played against him and I clobbered him in a, in a clumsy tackle he fell on the ground and he's sitting there going, oh, Jesus, big man. And he put his hand out for me to pick him up, and I picked him up. And at half time, I got ripped to shreds. For picking him up? Picking him up. <laughs> Just a, a, any, he said, you, forget about all that. You, you've got the wrong approach completely to this. You're, you're not out there to be friends. You're not out there to be nice. You're not out there to, to you're out there to do a job. Toughen up. And I remember there was a, there was a time we had an FA Cup game. And I was marking this fella, and um I was there a few years at this stage and I, I'd, I'd physically filled out a little bit. I got a bit more confident and I started feeling like this club is my club. So I didn't feel like an outsider just coming in. And That had to be nice in itself. It was brilliant because I, I grew into it yeah. and, and I'd been there a long time. Even I think actually by the time I finished, I was the longest serving player in the squad because oh, I'd been there seven years. Because in football, there's a huge turnover. We, lads come for two or three years, they're gone. Yeah, like you'd see, it's even yeah. more now. managers come and go they're gone and backroom staff even owners of clubs exactly <laughs> so you, you, it's really and you can be gone at any moment yeah. so and then there was one day where this fellow was being particularly he, he, he was wanting a bit of a scrap during the match and at this stage I was enjoying that part of the game so <laughs> I, I, mean, I, loved that I, part. I I loved it like so in the tunnel beforehand like every match you'd have a lot of it's off instinct. A lot of it's you, you just go with, read a situation and do what you think is right. But there's some scenarios where you, you know in advance what your jobs are. So if you're defending a corner kick or attacking a corner kick, you'd be told there's certain movements you've got to make and everyone knows the job. But I'd know who my job is to, to mark when we're defending corner kicks. So if I'm told you, right, it's Paddy, number six. It's like, grand, right. Grand, so I'd see you in the tunnel. And we'd be standing in the tunnel and I'd clock you. And I wouldn't do any stupid, like, psychological things to you but in my head I'd just be going okay number six that's me it's me and him now I'd have this little battle in my head going for the next 90 minutes I'm going to come out on top um, and I used to love it and then there was in this FA Cup game this fella was was, was kind of getting stuck in and, and in the second half fuck and I fucking clobbered him with my elbow and he went off with a broken nose and the following day we were doing a warm up, warm down on the Sunday and the coach goes to me, uh, did you mean that yesterday? And I just went, um, well I meant to hit him, yeah, like I didn't mean to break his nose. And he just goes, well done son. <laughs> so it was like, it was like this, this, like football's about so many different things. Oh, like you, you, yeah, I know, you can see that Talent now. skill, yeah. Yeah, of course. Psychological stuff, yeah. But you're fighting all these different, you, the crowd or the media or the manager or you've a, a sub on the bench who's breathing down your neck. You have an opponent who wants to, yeah. you know, there's loads of different things you have to juggle. Just head fights going on. Yeah, and whatever club, personal stuff you've yes. got going on in your life, you either park it or use it as motivation, do whatever you need to do to get the best out of yourself. And you could have some contract situation going on. You could be carrying an injury which you think is going to blow up. You could have an international coming up, transfer on the uh, on the horizon. You've, you've a lot of balls in the air and you've got to go out and do your job. Um, but one of the things I had to do was learn that you, you've got to start imposing yourself physically on other people. And when I started doing that, I really, I really liked it. <laughs> and I thought, it well, I'm actually it was good at this part too. A, that kind of reminds me a little bit of, of fighting in a way because like everything on the outside of the, uh, of the cage is is bullshit like basically trying to get to a fight like 
or injured. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Trying to make the weight. Yeah. Trying to making the weight. When I read about all the stuff you have to do to make the weight, sponsor and all of it. Like the weight is like it's this obsession. It's a goggle yeah. that goes on. But then when you step inside that cage, like and I'd say the football pitch is the same, and they lock the door. Ah. Now it doesn't matter if I get injured. Now it doesn't matter if I hurt my training partner or this guy because this is because what I'm the, here the, one of the weird things is when you're a footballer, the majority of the people who speak to you, like if you walk down the street. The, 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 the people you don't know that will talk to you are the ones who know you who you are. So they're football fans. And usually the ones who stop you, they're quite fanatical. So the majority of the people you meet are fanatical about the job that you do. So you can very quickly, and I see it with a lot of lads, you can very quickly get a false idea of how important what you do is. But you can also get a very warped sense of how important next Saturday's match is because everything in training is about this match everyone's mood in the town will be about the result of the match and everyone's interactions with you until the next match is going to be how you play in this match so you, you, you can you can stand in the tunnel beforehand and go this is the most and legitimately believe it and I used to do it sometimes you go, this is the most important thing I'll ever do in my life these three points that are unavailable available for us today they're the most important things we'll ever have to go after and get. Now, that's brilliant when you're a footballer to have that mindset because motivation isn't going to be an issue. Yeah, You're going to be focused and you're going to be as up for it as you need to be. The problem I found when I finished was I genuinely believed that scoring goals and winning three points and winning matches was the most important thing there was in the world. Purpose. It was the purpose. It had meaning. Yeah. And since I was that height, putting the putting the ball past a goalkeeper was the most important and meaningful thing I could do. And then at 24, I was like, I can't do this now. I don't know what I can do, but this is the one thing I know I can't do and I'll never be able to do it again. Would say it's, you mentioned the city and the, the mood in the city. Yeah. Uh, would it be wrong in saying that the film Football Factory really explained another kind of, I don't know, I believe a crazy element of football that is like hooliganism hooliganism yeah and, it, and, and it's people it, say it, to me like you should throw football do you read the football away because the hooligan <laughs> like, no and I think most people certainly I did it in the mid 90s when I got the first call from Millwall to say we'd like you over in trial first things I thought about Millwall it wasn't silky football great facilities winning trophies it was the behaviour of the fans. Like, Millwall and Chelsea, I mean, yeah. like it's it's heavy. Like yeah. it's it's like it's like rain. Would it be? It's the equivalent of Rangers and Celtic. It's, it's like, well, but the the difference with us and Chelsea, for example, is we were never in the same division. Yeah, so we were kept apart. Or us and West Ham, we were kept apart for the years that I was there. So there'd be there'd be there'd be games where you play other clubs and and after a while, I I you get to know a lot of fans and and. It was really interesting. Like they talk with pride about trashing Blackpool on a Friday night before we played them on the Saturday. Or getting in terrible with the Welsh clubs, particularly Swansea or Cardiff City. We went into Wales and fucking smashed up the chipper. Or the, we'd run in battles with the police. They show you scars of, one fella used the phrase, I remember, he said, we played against Bradford. So we went packy bashing. And he had scars and he goes, I got this from the old bill. And, and he would speak about it with pride, the way you might show me like a, t a belt from, from, that you won in, in, in a cage. And it's like, this is, what, this is my level of devotion to the club. This is what I'm prepared to do to represent Millwall. And you're sitting there going, this is madness. 
this, but they believed it. It was whether it's a territorial thing or a or a release or a or a just expression of I don't know what. Is that, that human just belonging? Well, that's the bit. That's the big thing, which I think people are really dismissive of, is this when, when you support the club. And, and you, so you, you you have a United jersey on you. You go into any pub, will you see United jersey connection? Yeah. Right, we both have the same devotion. We, we you know, we like the same thing. The same thing makes both of us happy. Yeah. And then when you're following a club, particularly when, and I don't want to be general about this, but a lot of the Millwall fans are are, are, are growing up and living in tough conditions. Yeah, so... It, it's not yeah, an area yeah. that is thriving. Oh, it, historically, class, it's yeah. not. And and, and, and and the area is left behind in many ways. So there's loads of kind of social issues that the, the people are doing on a constant well, like basis. Some of the, uh, Georgie Best would have came from one of the the hardest places. Uh, at that yeah, time. there's lot, so a lot of the greats come from these places. Yeah, the, so, so the, the importance then that the football club or the performance of the football club, it's like it's represent, you're representing them, yeah. not just the area, but them personally and their family and their parents and their grandparents. They've all, you know, supported the club for you all that stuff and it matters so when you go out on a Saturday and if we went out on Saturdays and the biggest crime that we could commit was looking like we didn't looking like we wouldn't die for the shirt if you pull out of a tackle or look like you didn't fancy it or you that was it you didn't see that that was it that's that's not that wasn't tolerated at all and I did I'd learn the hard way (laughs) that's because I was kind of walking around going this is great you know he said, no, no, you have to go out there and look like you're fighting for the club. Um, you but then when you, when you, you do it... going out there. Um, they, what, would, what, the ultimate football house that you, you had over there at that time with the Irish lads coming over. And yeah. That had to be mental. That had to, uh, had to take parts of you in ways that you probably would have never... So I, I, as a youthless, right? So, like, say youthless go over and they play football. And, mm. and as you said, like, it's, the door just opens up. As a kid, you're, you imagine, like... Want to be able to, to to be with any girl that you wanted or, or boy of whatever you're into or whatever how much money you want to have and all of these things. Yeah. But like um I be sitting in a situation where I pass through that door, you pass through that door, and I try to tell you for this now these days that don't chase all of that bullshit because you'll feel like you're taking something yeah. but you're actually giving a part of you away in a way. But it, but it, it it's difficult. So I'm sitting here as a forty year old. What was that scene like? So so I my my I can look back and and, but when I was in it, I didn't have the perspective of you know a forty year old's life experience, yeah, I know. <laughs> um, and so I went over at the age of seventeen to mill a virgin, right, football mad, and within a couple of years I had earned enough money to buy my own house. I think it was on about eight nine hundred quid was my standard wage, but then you'd have appearance money and goal bonuses, so to be kind of a few grand coming every month like enough to pay for mortgage and I had no expensive habits nothing like I, I bought shitty clothes <laughs> CDs was all I used to buy Running around the Essex and CDs it's all, all I did CDs all I did stuff that you buy JD Sports yeah. I just no expenses so any I, I never had to turn down doing anything because I couldn't afford it so but I became the first one of all my mates to live in a house with no adults Right. right so I'm 19 and I'm a homeowner and one of the other lads from Ballybrack actually who played for the team Robbie he moved in with me and it was everyone's holiday home everyone of my mates in Dublin because they were also living with their parents they'd come over so they'd love the match ticket so even going to the Millwall matches was a was an occasion but then the the, the Saturday nights 
Like so we had a big like big tricolour along the wall. Like wolf tones would be blaring every Saturday night. As you do. With the proclamation. All this yeah. real cliche. <laughs> Listen, when you go away, you're more Irish. Yeah, yeah, I became, and it, this was 96 and 97, so the, the IRA were still active. Yeah. Like Canary Wharf happened, was it 96, 97? Yeah, 98 would have been the, the peace process. So yeah, it so, very close to so the it end. was it's very different to what it is now. And, and again, Millwall and the club and the politics of Millwall people, there was all that to do with. So you become very aware of your Irishness. Yeah. And the house was full of Irish people. Like, honestly, there was one, Christ, one New Year's Eve, like we had a game New Year's Day, so we were sitting in and I got a call from a maid of mine and said, listen, the maid of theirs is coming back from Australia. Any chance he can stay in yours? Like, of course he can. This fellow I'd never met before spent three days with us over New Year's Eve. And it just, I was like, the more the merrier. I just wanted the house to be full of, like, normal people. Not not people who looked at me differently. Celebrities. No, none of that. that. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's not a celebrity world when you're playing for Millwall, but it, it's, when when you're a footballer, you can very easily fall into this notion that you're, you're, you're of more, there's more to you than other people because people come up to you and ask you questions and sign this, will you? Yeah. Like now it's all selfies, but back then it was like, yeah. sign this and sign this and they, they praise you and they want to help you and they want to be your mate. They want to curry favour with you in some way. Um, and again, in the minds of some people, that can go tits up. But like, it was just anywhere we went, it was to be a bit cute to get into a nightclub and bouncer just going, oh, come on up here, lads. Just walk in and there's like an air, a little VIP area. In you go there, lad. So I'd be sitting there with all my mates from Dublin. And like, not with any notions about ourselves. We're just, just sitting like... there going, it's handy. We don't have to queue. <laughs> we don't have to queue to the bar. We're, we're going to be thrown out here. See what it'd be. But even, even, the, stuff, even the stuff around. Like sex and everything, like it, it was, it was, it was weird, because I know a lot of people like ha have this notion that there's there's a culture within male team sports that they objectify women or there's there's a kind of unhealthy attitude towards sex, and in many cases that's true, but in the culture you're in, like you're objectified as well. It's people, women used to sex is a two way street. W there, women yeah. used to come up to me and I knew they're only talking to me because of the job that I had, yeah. which is weird. You're kind of going. Yeah. there's three other lads here and I'm the one they're speaking to and the only difference between me and them and is the job that I have and you somebody that looks like George Clooney and you know it's <laughs> that way of like yeah so, so it's weird, it's a weird thing as well for your, for your own self esteem you're going this isn't because it's me it's because of my oh, job no. which yeah. again I'm, I'm kind of going to flip back to this when I, I lost know about. I'm a handsome bastard so we wouldn't know uh, about yeah. <laughs> when, <laughs> when, when I when I lost the job to use that phrase or when I stopped being a footballer I was like well People are only friends with me because I'm a footballer. Girls only talk to me because I'm a footballer. I only have any self-esteem because I'm a footballer. The only meaning I have in my life is playing football, which, which made not being a footballer this massive, catastrophic, like devastating event in my life. Because it wasn't just, I can't play football anymore. You can't do your job sure anymore. Did he? Yeah, the whole thing. So I was like, okay, right. This is gonna be a this is gonna be a rocky. Before road. you get to this part, I want to ask you. Yeah, I'm jumping around here. All the time. Oh, no, because we're, we're going to finish up soon anyway. Um, the idea is walking out. Right? I know for me, walking out carrying that Irish flag. Yeah. You could have gave me millions to not carry it, or the opportunity to carry it, and I would have chose to carry it. You know, and I know some people are different about this, but 
when you got that call up for for the international squad to, mm. to, to step out onto that, 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 that what does that mean because as a kid listen we all look at that screen especially he woke up in 1994 and stuff like that look I was 2 in 90 and I remember that yeah. so I, I used to be screaming at the for Packy Bonner go on Packy Bonner I used, when the boy used to go to the bar I used to call it an ovary my uncle said that's an ovary <laughs> my uncle still can't say this to me today is that an ovary Paddy <laughs> Gonna go over the bar. Oh, it well. kind of for me. It, it came. It, it came in stages. Like when I again. So I was Italy ninety. I was eleven. Just mesmerized by the whole thing. painted like streets. Like it was. It was the most significant event in my childhood at the time. So Italy, Ireland are in a World Cup. Yeah. Um, and like a lot of kids, you go. I'd love that. But it's 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 a dream. It's a, like you're eleven. Like what? So, and then. Throughout my teens, like it, it was going well, and I get off on trial, and then I'd be playing on schoolboy teams who had players that played for the underage international team. I was like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not as good as them. I'm not far off them. I'm, I'm, and then I started getting a trial, and then I went to Millwall, and then I got a call up for the under eighteen Irish team, and I thought, there's some lads here. I'm, I'm on the same. A lot of them are better than me, but some of them. Are, so it was a gradual thing. So you play for the under 18s and then the nineteens, then the twenties, and then. 21s and, and then you're too old you're going, well the only thing left now is a senior team or else I'm just one of these lads who's a youth international well and then done. nothing else um, but the jumping standard is enormous from uh, 21s because on the 21s you're all young adults or however you describe a 20, 21 year old and it's it's captain age but then when you get over 20, you're, you're competing me at the time was like Niall Quinn was still playing Ooh, big and, like in David Connolly and like Robbie Keane and, and Damien Duff and Leeds, lads who were in the Premier League he would have been finished by then and did you get to play with Paul? no he would have oh he would have been well finished by oh, then oh you got to play with Paul did you? I played right back and Paul played centre <laughs> back in the charity match I actually think I did I played a charity match in Richmond Park years later what a footballer I know amazing he, like the, how we know sorry to come amazing. off one. but I it was like, I had one up on you there so, <laughs> <laughs> I was like one count. so like I, me- I remember getting the call for the senior t- and I knew okay this is different I, I, like I can compare this to an under 18 game if I want right. like, it's the same jersey same anthem same flag and blah 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 but it's not it's different, different. It, or it's not it's different even when you're watching on telly let's yeah. be out straight like, if, I, you, if Ireland won the World Cup under 21 that would be great but avoidable the world cup exactly. So I, I remember I remember showing up on the Saturday night in the team hotel, meeting Steve Stone like for the first time, and I like I knew Clinton Morrison and Stephen Reid and I played with Robbie and Duffer and blah, but I remember meeting the Leeds lads like Ian Hart and Gary Kelly. I hadn't met them before. Seen them every week in match of the day, but never met them. So you've that thing of meeting people that you're kind of like your heroes, but yeah. not using using word. You wouldn't use the word heroes, but they're people. Admirable, the yeah. admirable. They would they're admirable. They're where they're yes. at. They're where I would like to Absolutely. be. So you have to kind of, kind of play it cool, but also, I felt like you've got to, you've got to kind of portray yourself here that you don't feel like a, like a competition winner, someone who's dragged off the street. You've got to look as if you feel like you belong. I remember that with lads that I might have had to fight. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm here now, and he's yeah. looking at me. Yeah. Man, look, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, saying that Connor's fight being uh, announced. I remember being in a room with Donald Cerrone when we were all there at Boston, and Donald Cerrone's sitting up there, and there's this energy in him, like you know, Connor's now fighting him in yeah, January. Yeah, yeah. But even then, Connor knew this would happen, and it was like, play it cool, you know. Yeah. And we kind of all like kind of, I don't know, staunched him out a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> staunched <laughs> <And he> pa- <laughs> staunched him. 
Because you don't know, like you're in the room with these people and you don't want to be friends with them because yeah. you might have to fight them in yeah. their game, you know what I mean? But in your game when you're going in, I can imagine what that's like. It, it, but, and it was, but one thing, everyone was so sad. Like we all went out in the piss on the Saturday night. Which was mental. But, but it was, because they'd all qualified for the 2002 World Cup in December. So, and it was in Iran, I think was the qualifier, the, the, the playoff. So we met for the February friendly which is the biggest deal in my life I was going to play for him for the first time but it's probably the lowest level game they've, they've ever played this is like a friendly so they, after the big job had been done like, before like, the main yeah. tournament okay. and they'd all had like dozens of caps at this stage so it was all very relaxed everyone down the Saturday night um, and it was great crack and then in training and then Roy Keane shows up and, and you're like sitting next to Roy Keane for dinner and then and like you're, you're in shooting drills with Robbie Keane and Niall Quinn sitting in the bus next to you giving you little bits of advice and I sit in there going this is amazing Ama like this is amazing <laughs> I can only imagine and then we, we, we have the meeting then on, on, on the afternoon of the game and Mick calls out the team and I didn't expect to start and, but then during the game he was making a load of changes and then you're warming up in the second half going keep looking over and you have this weird thing going okay I'm about to do if I get called to go on there's nothing different. I'm going to go on as a striker. It's not a new position. Pitches, same size. Ball, same size. Goals. I'm going to do the thing that I've been doing every week since I'm six. So in one way, it's no big deal. But you're going, it is a big the deal. Other side, the other big deal. I, I, if, if the coach, if the next time I look at the dugout and I'm the name they call, I'm going to go from being someone who dreamed all his life to be an Irish footballer to becoming one. Oh, like to be, and, 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 but you have to hold all these emotions. You're going... Just be breezy. <laughs> just like just stretch your hamstring. Oh, just and have a bit of crack with yeah. the other subs and, and you did a couple of comments from the crowd are calling you over and you have to deal with all that. And then I remember getting the call, I remember. God, like So I'm I'm again running twenty yards from where I am to the dugout, putting on my shin pads or whatever, taking off my top. And then uh, Mick's going, oh, best of luck. Or you have Queenie fucking slapping you in the back going, go on. Niall Queen just goes, go on. Get on and just get yourself a goal. You can see it, but no, no, get yourself a goal. Like as if yeah. 12s yeah. for, for overs. Get yourself, we're playing Russia. Yeah. Just get yourself a goal. So, so I run on and then Robbie Keane came off. So I, I played with Robbie a lot of times. So, and then you're going, again, you, you try to do, I, I remember like going, this, this is this is kind of your job and you've done it loads of times before go out and do it but also like appreciate it oh of course yeah. so like just don't 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 having somebody to tell you that is yeah, important yeah and I was kind of looking around so there was a there was actually a streaker a fella running on the pitch <laughs> brilliant and, and I collided with the referee and knocked him to the ground George as well there was the most memorable things I did in the match but there was little delays was a wall party yeah, there, when you yeah, there, the there, was all, there was a few delays during the matches there always is someone gets injured or there's substitutions being made and I remember looking so this is the old Lansdowne Road and I remember just standing there looking around the previous time I'd been on that pitch was in 1995 the Ireland-England friendly which was called off during the game because of crowd trouble I was in the west lower stand and the loudspeaker bloke goes we'd evacuate the stand because the English fans were throwing all stuff down on top of us and I remember when I was I've never said I was in 95 I was 16 and I remember do you remember the footage do, do, do you yeah, remember this remember, yeah. so you see all the, all the fans on the yeah, pitch yeah and they, they, the flares were coming down over I, the I, I, I bent down and picked up and I took some grass and I put it in the middle of my match programme 
was like, because to me, I was like, I'm on the most precious bit of grass there is in the fucking world. I'm on Lansdowne Road pitch. So that was when I was 16. The next time I was on the pitch, I'm like playing for Ireland now this, at this the, stage. This stuff that you were doing there, people don't believe in this shit, but it does work. It does work. So some of you over reading this now or listening to this podcast now was like, oh, I wish I was. But this is it. You have to literally pick up the grass sometimes and but smell it. Was a, it. Like, yeah, but it was like, like, And I look, you know, I love now. I, I'm sitting here. Transcending yourself to these places. If you'd met me 15 years ago, I'd have been one year out of retirement. I wouldn't have spoke like this because I would have been focusing on what I'd lost. Really? I wouldn't be able to appreciate the one cap. I'd be whinging about, why didn't I get a second cap? Yeah, of course. No, we don't what about the caps I didn't get? And I wouldn't be talking with, with really huge amount of like pride about the stuff I did do at Millwall. I'd be kicking myself for the stuff that didn't go well. I'd, you be mourning, I'd be mourning the, the, the loss of the future that I thought was ahead of me. Yeah. Whereas now I'm sitting back and going, I love the past. I, lo I love that, loads of my past, I, I would, like, didn't happen, but the bits, I can't change it. And I, I to just take and brace what, and what, take on the like, chest. What an experience. Did Even for a few years, to get to do the thing you always wanted to do. Amazing. It's like you've had it. I know, it's amazing. And it doesn't matter what you want to do if you get to do the thing that you like doing more than anything else <laughs> and someone pays you to do it and you do it to a level which means you don't have to do a proper job. You've cracked it. You've, you've won at life, you mm. know what I mean? And if you can still be happy and look back at it like, like we are now. Mm. So we're nearly there. Um, but before, I would it be a shame if I ask you about the presence of Roy Keane? Because mm. I know that you talk about this and this is the part of the book that I want to pull out I wouldn't I just I told you I wasn't going to pull loads of it I wanted to talk about you and talk about what I know that like the feelings of it because this is why, why I love to sit people down and talk to them because I know for the fact that you're just a man like me mm. but we were just very lucky to be able to get to a place that we like worked really hard for planned visualised it and now Oh, you know, if we looked in at that at 15 years of age and we seen two people sitting here talking, say we seen Robbie Keane and Noel Quinn or something sitting down talking at the, and, and talking about how they were just human, like me and you, like, it would just drive me on because mm. we, we are born with this thing that this special part of us, well, they're special, they're, they're not like us, you know? Mm. We very much are like mm. any normal person out there trying to make it. Mm. But like Keane, obviously, being, especially from my world, Conor McGregor being the, that, that extra special, that special of like, there's something there, you know. Um, when Roy Keane comes into the session, you said that the, the, the energy changed. That was my memory. So we met on a Saturday night and we all went out. And United were playing Charlton on the Sunday. So he didn't train Sunday morning because we were still in England. And he got the flight back Sunday evening. And the reason they flew him back Sunday evening was because he, he got the Player of the Year award and the FEI awards that night. And the Sunday night, we all get tuxedo and go to this event. So he was training Monday morning. So I, everything was new to me. So I had the experience of Sunday morning training with the Irish team. A lot of us were half cut from the previous night. <laughs> <laughs> it was quite relaxed. I'm sure that and then on the Monday morning, Roy is there and... Like he's he's not that big physically, oh. but the impact this the fella had, like the presence, it was I'd never seen it. Like I, I'd met a load of really hard men at Millwall, really tough blokes. Some of them were footballers, some of them were in the world in the stands, yeah, <laughs> and, and in, in in like really in the criminal world, like really really big figures in that in that in that world. But I'd never met anyone impact a room the way he did. 
Um, and maybe it was my own thing. Maybe I, maybe I was looking at him and, and it was the impact on me. But I, I swear to God, it was on everyone. Um, and he just had an aura about him. Like he'd already won the treble with United. He was Man United captain. Like Old Trafford was, like he just dominated the place for years. Um, and then I get to train, like I was going, this is fucking amazing. Isn't it crazy though when you look at it, about even like as you said about he like he dominated Old Trafford, he did treble with Old Trafford, he was the captain of Old Trafford. But then when the use comes to an end, sometimes it just changes because him and Alex Ferguson took it. Well that's the thing, you have to accept in football that a great amount of the relationships you have are based on the fact that you're a footballer and that you can do certain things on a Saturday which others can't. And then when you realise you can't do that, or other people realise you can't do that, their need for you might change. Absolutely. So, like, when I finish playing football, the, 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 you know, the call from the local BMW dealers about how's my injury, they stopped. Let's do this, so. Do, do you know Let's what I mean? do the, Let's do a retirement thing, because sitting here, there's somebody that has retired hmm. young as well. I retired, I think it was 27 I had to retire fighting for it for all my life to get yeah. where I wanted to be but like when it came to retirement to be honest I was exhausted I was red ragged you know what I mean I needed to lie down somewhere for a few days um, and I never did that as a fighter but you, you, you would have kind of you had a lot of injuries coming up yeah. with your hip um, the hip was the biggest thing the, the hip was the thing that I finished with but it you was always that in the book struggled where you struck on the ball and you felt this ping in your just, hip just and this you, shooting pain in my hip I just went to shoot Christ and and then it was 10 minutes into a game away against Barnsley I played for the Irish team three weeks earlier and like in any like in your game too you, you, you'll feel physical pain but there's a difference between being in pain and being injured yeah do you know what I mean or yeah where's the line between this is this is a tolerable amount of pain or this is too much that I need to put the hand up and come off because yeah. it could get worse so I thought this, 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 the stakes are too high here I'm staying on I just played with the Irish team. I knew I was getting a call up for the next cap. We were in the playoff permission positions to get promoted to the Premier League. All sorts of talks about me getting transferred. Now's not the time for me to get injured. So I stayed in the pitch for the game. Got worse and worse. It was a Saturday. Couldn't train Sunday or Monday. I said, just inject me. I have a game Tuesday night. I think we played Coventry or Derby or something. I said, just, just inject me I never actually you just assume it's that <laughs> give, it me. give me whatever it takes to get me onto that pitch at the right. kickoff. Right. so they did 12 minutes into the game put my hand about to come off and then the surgeon goes you're going to need surgery it's like I appreciate that <laughs> but World Cup coming up promotion campaign no. transfer coming up I love my life <laughs> things have never been better so a combination of injections and rest and denial of like, I'm going to just push through this and, and I couldn't. So within a month I had to have surgery and then he says, this is career ending. And then kind of spiral for 18 what months. What was the injury? It was a torn, uh, kind of like a labral tear. And labral, as they described it to me, is like the, the cartilage, the, you know, the, the hips. Are, yeah, the, you know, the hips, a ball and socket it, joint. Yep. Yeah. So was, there was a, like a chondral defect. I don't even know what that phrase means. It was a bit of a flap in a way which needed to be trimmed. And the downside to that is you're exposed to more bone friction so, so, you to so your, your bones on bone yeah so at the right yeah. kind of in a way in your hip yeah oh. and he kind of said and then I went back seven eight months later and said listen it looks like you may have to retire or else we'll give you this other surgery which is way more desperate we'll give you way more long term problems but it's possibly going to get you back for a few years like we're doing that fair play to you 
Yeah. So I get, I get, stand that though. I, I get, like it was a, it's kind of a desperation thing. Like if you give me two options, and one of them is retire. It doesn't matter how grim that is. It doesn't matter how, like ridiculously against all the odds this is. I'm gonna go for it because that's, that's like, that's the end of the world. And people that don't understand will never understand that. Mm. You know, the idea of it's like a loved one to me. You know, when I, when I retired, it was like 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 someone died in my family, and if someone gave me the option to be able to bring that person back, but it costs this, it, that doesn't matter. The cost and all doesn't matter because I don't know if you felt it like that, but to me, it felt like a debt. Like yeah, well, that's what it was like. That's what it was like. Like some days I'd be okay, and then some days like it would literally hit me, and I'd be like, I'd be extremely emotional. Like my girlfriend would come in, and she'd be like, she'd know. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I was at the watch and say a fight or something that day or I seen a clip of myself and I'd just be like Was that me? Was Do you know what I, 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 like? I had a weird thing. I don't I don't think I put this in the book. I, I my cousin who was a couple of years older than me. I retired on a Wednesday. It went public on a Thursday and on the Friday I got to train up to Newcastle to meet my dad and my sister who'd flown from Dublin. We were visiting my cousin Michal, who had cystic fibrosis since he was a kid. He just had a heart and lung transplant and he was lying in the bed having had the surgery and it was anyone's guess as to whether he'd survive. And he was 26, 27. Heart and lung. Right, so so he, he was, and, and, and I remember speaking to his mum, my auntie outside, and so all the papers were full of, Jesus, this is devastating, tragedy, poor Richie can't play football again. And I was visiting my cousin in his mid-twenties, lying on the bed, he wasn't awake, and we didn't know whether he'd, wake up or survive. Now, he died within a few weeks. And I remember at the time going, this really weird thing. I I didn't come away from that with some new perspective on, do you know what, things can be way worse. At least I'm alive. At least have the rest of my life ahead of me. I, I, I came away going, I, I know things can be worse, but in my world, this is as bad as it gets. So I, in, 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 I just said, you know, it's it's not right for me to talk about it because things can be worse, look at my cousin. So I kind of denied myself, you know, you, you, you said your, your, your partner might notice you're upset mm. or your friends might realise you're, and you, you talk to them. I was like, how dare you talk about this? Look at me, Hall. he's just died. Yeah. How dare you whinge that having lived your dream life for seven years, you now can't play football. So I, I kind of denied myself the opportunity of talking about it. So because you were in that because just because I thought you know you just because in the weird but I know things can get way worse, but so so don't talk about this. But it, not talking about it didn't lessen the hurt no, it of doesn't. it. It did feel like like I think there's a phrase in in, in professional sport, isn't it? You look two deaths, your, your actual death and the the end of your sporting career. <laughs> that's actually that's a great. So, never heard like that, that. One, but that's a yeah. that's a way of because you, you've to you, you're just there's such a change from being an active professional sports person to being a former one. Talk about that change, right? the change of, because there's, there's a lot of changes. There's a change that in you, there's a change in others as well. Yeah, it, there's the, there's a, there's a, there's a kind of a purpose that comes with, with for me, with being a footballer. So it was like, you, you, you've, a, you've, a, you've got to eat and sleep a certain way. You've got to look after yourself. You've got to maintain your health. And you get all the endorphins and all the positive stuff for being someone who exercises constantly and being super fit. And you have a goal every week. You're very focused. You have a match. You've got to keep your place in the team or win your place in the team. You've got to win a game or get promoted or avoid relegation. You're always working towards something. 
So you're always kind of thinking, right, the next game, the next game. If the last one didn't go well, well, the next one will. And then it just goes. They're yes. just gone. What's happening next week? It doesn't fucking matter. It doesn't matter. What am I going to do next week that's of any significance? Any con- It doesn't matter. Like, if I don't get out of bed this morning, there's not one person in the world who's going to notice. I went from going to school, did the leaving cert, to Millwall. So I always had a focus or a purpose. There was always a, a discipline or a structure to my life. And then there was nothing. So it didn't matter if I went out in the piss every night. So that's what I did. It didn't matter if I slept in every day. So that's what I did. It didn't matter. I didn't have to look after myself. I was eating pizzas every day. And people won't question you either. So people are not going to, like, you're, you're the epitome of success at that time. Well, as I kind of well. hit, I, I kind of, like, there, there was an obvious kind of sympathy. Like, oh, Jesus, you know, that must be a nightmare. Like, everyone was, would say it. And it's what I would say to me if I met me back then. So it's an obvious thing to say. But I, I kind of, I wasn't into talking about it. I'd be like, ah, shit, the mayor. Listen, how are you getting on? Just get back to you. But people checked in on you. I think they would have said it, but I, I, I made it very clear very quickly that talking about it at any length wasn't an option. We're not doing this now. We're not doing this now. Let's get drunk. Let's take a load of drugs. Let's let's just get this off the table. So it it, it got because like, there was there was no and and weirdly like I wasn't for the first time in my life I wasn't part of a team anymore. I wasn't oh, yes. a, I wasn't a member of any squad. There was nobody in the world was a teammate because I was no longer in a team. And when you're in a dressing room, the the like the 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 border of the door it, it's a it's a it's a significant boundary between you and everyone else it's like this understanding that no one else knows no one else is on this journey but us we're the only ones who knows what it's like to to be in the position we're in and there's a lot of stuff that will stay in house yeah. a lot of experiences we have and a lot of pressures we're dealing with we're dealing with them together and then when you go to being a former footballer you're on your own outside yeah like the modern day equivalent is you're 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 you're, you're removed from the WhatsApp group. Right. Do you know that there was no WhatsApp, group, but it's that <coughs> That's kind why of thing. I try to stop them groups now because yeah. that that has an effect. You, you're an outsider to the world that was. You're not. Like, you're an outsider to the dressing room, and that was the only world that mattered anyway. So you're like, um, you're floating around aimlessly, going, "What am I doing? What can I do? What will I do? Will I ever get a job again? It doesn't matter if I do because nothing's worth doing." compared to the thing that I used to do yeah. and and times a hundred all day every day nothing else and then trying to put on an act as well at the same time going she didn't have seven great years didn't I get to play for Ireland didn't I, I get to play with Roy Keane when you say that like that now I can see I can see the act mm. like I, can, I can see that you, you're good or it you know? I, I sure I listen for years that. like when I, I've written like really difficult stuff to happen to me when I was a kid like Concealing stuff is very, is quite easy to do. Yeah, if you want it, like it, it's doable. But people that know you don't like. Here's a, coming out of the house. We got tickets sent to me for for Asla, and she got them for Christmas. The envelope was open on the chair. She comes in today, right? And uh, I, obviously, I looked in the envelope. <laughs> did you look in that envelope? Oh, you did look in the envelope. <laughs> people just know that are close to you. You know what I mean? Are people that know that are close to how you have felt. But I can, I can see how you concealed that really easily. And, and it's, like, ve- it's, like it, it's very easy to keep people at arm's length. 
Yeah. It's the easiest thing in the world. People, and you know what? People really don't want to talk. And even more so now when there's mobile phone. Like, and I used to love, again, when I finished, like, a lot of my conversations would be by text. Because it doesn't matter what your demeanor is or your face looks like or if, if you are crying or you've just been crying or if you're miserable or angry or you've just punched the pillow or you've just cried in the pillow for ages. You can conceal all that by text. Yeah. Out in a mad one tonight, any crack with you. That doesn't set off alarm bells in anyone's mind. Well. So there, there's loads of ways just to put on a mask and to keep people at arm's length if that's what you want to do. So I'm now the very opposite. I'm at the completely other other extreme to that, the other end of the spectrum, like I said at the start. I just go to therapy every week, talk about this is what it's like to be in my shoes now. This is who we are. And of a small circle of people who I talk openly to. And my wife, everything to. It's very different than the old approach. When you look at football now, this is the last one I'll leave you with. Does it hurt? When you look at football, because these days, to me, Football has changed. Mm. It's definitely changed from when you played it as well. Especially the the, 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 the style you played. The middle wall. Yeah. Of, like fucking tough to get on. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, where now football is like people, like pink boots, white hair. You know what I mean? 700 grand a week. It's different, but I, I think every generation of footballers looks at the one that follows them and goes, the game's changed, the game's gone. Like I remember, so our equivalent to that, when we got to being 18 or 19, one of the changes that came in, I think was, you didn't have to do jobs anymore as a U team player. You didn't have to be a boot boy or something like that. And then all all the lads go, game's gone. Or, you, you know, the changes over the years, you, you couldn't just randomly batter a U team player. You couldn't bully him. You could, you know, and then you, all the lads are going, oh, well, that's got me to, got to, got me to where I got, you know, it's so, yeah, no, and then, no, you know, the you pink go? boots and all that kind of yeah. stuff and agents and, and everything's, everything's changed. Like it's, I've just read a book about Brian Clough and he's talking about footballers that used to be, have to have a trade to supplement their earnings or they'd be given a, a clubhouse to play in or to live in while they were under contract. And when the contract ended, they were kicked out of the house. They didn't have anywhere to live. And you weren't earning enough to buy a house. You know, so it, it's completely changed. But like, when I leave here, I'm going up to Shamrock Rovers training ground tonight. Lynn Rowan, who we both know, is, is she just ropes me into doing stuff all the time. I just yeah. can't say no to the woman. So there's, there's a, like a five-a-side or something going on. Now, I'm really sore this week. My back's in bits. But I have all my gear in the bag. And I'm going to put it on. And I'm going to stand on the sideline and I'm going to tell her I can't play. But I bet by the end of the game I'll walk on the pitch. Even if it's just lads I'm going to go for a few minutes. See this just, just to... If you ever do need to come down here, get in that flow tank thing I'm, <laughs> I'm not fucking messing. It would change. Like if I had this during my career it would have changed yeah. everything. The other night I got into it, right? And the, the, end, the building's empty, I'm not messing. Right? And you close down the lid and after a little while, every time I throw my hands down, I felt like I was shooting down a river. Like all of the weight is off your body. You know when you have back pain? That taking the weight off your body is just a hard thing to do. I've never felt that like this because it's just the water takes the weight off your body. Do you know? Come down I will. I, I will. And one of the things I do and you know, it's December, so this might sound like a bonkers thing to do. So yesterday and on Sunday, I just go down to the 40 foot and it's freezing and you jump in and I'm, I'm in a lot of pain beforehand. And when you jump in, 
mentally as well. It doesn't matter what you care about yeah. or what's important. When you jump in the sea and it's as cold as it is, <laughs> all that stuff just <laughs> all that stuff becomes not no, important. Yeah. And then no matter what mood you are going in, you're in a better or different mood coming out. And physically, maybe it's because it, it shocks your body or numbs you. I'm in less physical pain when I come out. So that's like the basic thing I said earlier. Like therapy works, so I keep doing it. Jumping in the sea works, it so I keep doing it. The just see as they say, isn't yeah, it? Just keep doing the 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 day to day stuff that works. I fucking enjoyed that, Richie, don't I? We could have done this for ages. So I would I would advise you to get this book, right? Even though we're probably in competition. Don't mind too. But uh, but this is a great book, and I'm not messing. It's not just about football either. It's a mm. it's a really really cool book, Richie. Thank you so much for coming in. I really enjoyed that, mate. Really Pleasure. Can I can I just add absolutely one, right. one really quick story, Richie? Oh, sorry, sorry. I thought Paddy missed this. Story. Okay, Listen go to on. This story um, shows that Richie's a good man. Yeah. When I was in college many years ago, I fourth year. I love college. The only thing I ever had difficulty with was my dissertation. I just the only way I could do it was if I if I did it on something that I loved, and two things I loved were football and South Park. So I said I'm gonna write it on one of those. <laughs> I uh, love this so far. A media student, like so they did the lectures like you can't write it about football or South Park I was like why not it's nothing to do with multimedia so I kept coming back at them and eventually they were like listen you can do it on football if you get someone really really good to interview for your research and so I was like right straight away I was like I'm gonna ask Richie Sadler because at at the time every Sunday you, you wrote for the Sunday Independent. Yeah. I'm not sure. Do you still write for Sunday Independent? No, I stopped. I did it for about 10 years, up yeah. until about 2016, I think. I know you're still living at home at the time, and every Sunday I always read the the newspaper with my dad. Um, well, he, he gave me the sports section. I, I looked at the pictures, but I always read your your section because you, you, you were kind of just... You were doing the punditry, I think, a few years. So I was like, you had an email at the bottom of the... The, the articles like Richie at independent die and I, I just so this is before Twitter so that's the email address that people would just email me to abuse me about the thing I've just <laughs> written because <laughs> yeah. it was always like in Trapatoni or something yeah. like that yeah it's dedicated. Like, it was always yeah. giving out about the Irish team or something like that but I said I, I have to like this is this is my only chance of, of doing my dissertation on, on football you email me yeah did I get back to you? Straight away, like, it was Sunday night at, like, 9 o'clock. And 9.20, I think, you got back. Yeah, no problem. Here's my number. Give me a shout. You fucking uh, The Harry Lemon. It, the interview should have only been half an hour, but I was just, like, like an idiot. I just kept, like, veering off topic and just talking about football. It was two hours of, of your time. We met? Yes. No way. Yeah, in the Harry Lemon. Uh, I think you were going into news talk afterwards. You just got a cake for your dog, Frank. Um, oh, he had a dog named Frank. Frank. But Victorian bulldog. Big. Oh, he had a dog named yeah. Frank, a boxer. But, um, but yeah, so wow. anyway, we did that interview. Um, the college ended up, I ended up getting a first. I got this, it got well distinction in it. Um, they actually offered me a research position that summer to, to do more research on it because they said it was an interesting topic. So we did that, got paid for that. My first, uh, not my first job, I'd, I'd worked in London but as a graduate um, I got a job then I, I got approached by uh, a sports science company Statsports uh, to do a media role they were looking for someone that 
was big into sport and yeah. I was like, well, here's some research. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and they loved it. And, and I've been with that company ever since. I've worked wow. in sports media ever since. So, Fair play to you. So, uh, and then, and then oh yeah, I have ended up here on the No Shame podcast. So, long story short, without, without Richard Sadier, I don't, I don't think there'd be a No Shame podcast. <laughs> <laughs> There's no real reason. This is a secret. Yeah. But, but, but I guess what I'm trying to say is uh, thanks. You're very welcome and well done and everything you've done since. Fair play to you. So, Cheers. If you are out there and you're you in a position to be able to help someone like Robin in, in a few mm. years, like answer their messages. Get out there, give your hours to these people because you've no idea what it means to be able mm. to just get that first step on the road. And to me, I try to do as many people as possible and let's help each other because that's what it's about, you know what I mean? Mm. Um, also, this week, I got my black belt. Yes. Took me 13 years, but I got my black belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Um, if you haven't seen the video, it's online, Shinobi Vlog. Um, it's on my Instagram channel. Uh, it's about 20 minutes long. If you haven't watched this, like, I had to grapple 57 people, one after the other. Took me an hour and 40 minutes. By the end of it, I'm I'm like a, I'm in bits. Like, but I, I, I got about 45 of them. <laughs> Is that good numbers? Well, like, <laughs> Is that a good return out of 57? 57 people. Jesus. Put yourself on a battlefield with 57 people and you kill 45 of them. So, takes a long time, but yeah. But anyway, Christ. the video was emotional. I, de emotional. I definitely didn't cry. No, I definitely didn't cry. I'm not crying. You're crying. You're crying, Richie. <laughs> that was episode 105. Look after yourself. <laughs>